<laughs> and you're like, oh, it's breakfast. This is drinking food. Oh, lunch. It's drinking food. Oops, dinner, extra drinking food. Yeah, I love it so much. Now I just want like a chicken fried steak. Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now when we're lowering the floor. The band is blistering, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Whiskey Topic. My name is Mark Bylock, and I am here with... Jamie. And today we have a special guest. We have, we have Matt Jones, Beam Centauri Canadian Whiskey Ambassador who specializes in bourbon. Matt, welcome to the show. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, we, we know each other. We, we hang out. He, Matt's in Toronto a lot, so we're, we're generally traveling the same circles. And I've listened to you talk about bourbon many, uh, many a times. And Quite I'm a few very times much... now. In the last few months, yes. <laughs> uh, so very much appreciate having you on the show. Um, we wanted to talk about um, kind of whiskey, branding, craft whiskey, maybe get into cocktails, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, we just like follow Matt around most of the city. <laughs> we just like show up wherever he's like pouring we're like hey friend fill up our you glasses guys have been and to, uh, <laughs> some of the dinners some of the tastings yeah, man. you've had some cocktails you've seen yeah. the different facets of the different events that we do so yeah, yeah and you know matt uh, matt is um a whiskey chef a whiskey underscore chef on twitter um and you're also like you also specialize in the kitchen as well you cook you're you like doing whiskey pairings as well which i think what i appreciate going to your events as well is you work with kitchens yep. and get a pretty interesting pairings because whiskey is really tough to pair with food Something like to uh, kind of coin the hashtag a few years ago, mixogastro. And it's actually something we do in Quebec quite often in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Mixogastronomique. We're trying to pull flavors of the food in the cocktails mm-hmm. and always using the whiskey in the preparation. We're trying to find the synergies that way instead of like wine, trying to, you know, pull out the subtle, subtle flavors in the, in the wine with the food and chewing on it at the same time. It's just not the same experience. No, no. Yeah. No, I, li- I like that about it because I think a lot of the foods that we've had at your events, like you said, it's like that big flavor in the whiskey matches the big flavor in the food. Or sometimes it contrasts that flavor, but it, it, there's a complement to it in, in the range. So if it's sweetness, if it's, you know, whatever it is, it's, it works out really well. I really enjoy that. Awesome. Yeah, and, and it's nice that it's not always barbecue because there's a yeah. thing that happens where it's always like whiskey and barbecue. And so it's, it's nice to go to a dinner where it's like we had like I, all I can think about is that giant shrimp that we had at that at um, Geraldine. Geraldine, yeah. And I never would have thought in a million years that would have gone with whiskey, and I loved it. So yeah, it's nice that it's bold, bourbon bold, barbecue. Mm-hmm. You gotta go bold, but yeah. there's there's a lot more subtleties. And that one was with Basil Hayden, which was a perfect uh, so good whiskey to go with. Yeah. So good. Yeah. yeah, Basil Hayden's an interesting drink. I, I liked it first and didn't like it. And last time, last few times I've had it, it's just. Seems to have a little bit more character. Maybe my palate's just opening up more to it, but um, it is a softer drink, right? When you've had Basil Hayden after you've had other whiskeys, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it completely gets lost. <laughs> it completely gets lost. But if it's if it, and that's why, of course, we, we try and open with it. Yeah. But to really appreciate the uh, the complexity that is there, it's it's inherent. It's peppery from the rye. There's an undertone of honey, honey tea, but it doesn't have a big bang finish. No. It's, it's very light bodied. I think too, because I, I go through phases of what I drink mostly because. I can't, for the same reason, I can't drink bourbon, 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 and then drink a scotch. It's just, it, it doesn't work. So uh, I went through that phase where I was just like drinking nothing but scotch because I wanted to have that sensitivity to it. And Basil Hayden tasted the best at that point because it was like, yeah, I'm getting that, the, the more subtle flavors there. Uh, and does have character, absolutely. And then, yeah, then we go to what we're drinking today, mm-hmm. which is all pretty much high proof. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're going full body going, across yeah, the table today. Big and for bold. Sure. Well, it is Friday, and as Jamie says, <laughs> Stag Friday. Yes, it's Stag Friday. Or except in this case, not really. <laughs> this time it's E.H. Shaler Barrel Proof Friday, which I think is the best. Like, yeah. this is the best. 
this is my favorite. This is like the one that I will like, I'm a little nervous because like it's starting to get about halfway done <laughs> and all I can like think about and like I'm starting to like shed a little tear and anticipate for the end of the bottle so that I can get another one somehow. Yeah. But I love this one. I just find it's like so incredibly like bold and lovely and I don't find it too hot. I find I don't even really need to add water to this as a barrel proof. Like it's, it's perfect. I love it. Yeah. What was it 64? 64.5, yeah. yeah. And it sounds like, based on my Twitter and Instagram feed, that it is being sold right now because I'm seeing people pick it up at stores. So it must, they must have released a new, uh, new batch of it because it comes out every year. It sells out super fast. And then you get it on the gray market for like $500 because it is reasonably priced. It's like under $100. Yeah, I think the I got it at um, like what the guy paid for, it, which was like 70 bucks. Yeah. Nice. Really yeah. nice. Yeah, lovely. Matt I wonder does. what you'd pay for that in Kentucky. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I have no idea. Because he bought a case of it, the guy that I bought oh, wow. it from. So, And he was like, I'll give it to you, like, what I would have bought it for. But if you're talking, like, one-off, like, I just found it somewhere in some liquor store, like, oh, yeah. It would be a pretty penny, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matt, what are you drinking today? I got some Knob Creek Small Batch. Definitely my, uh, my go-to you know, kind of prohibition proof, 100 proof and honest, 100 proof as they used to say, <laughs> but very consistent. So you're both at, yeah, and I've got, so I've got the, um, I'm drinking scotch, but it's also high proof. It's the uh, Highland Park Thor. It's 52.1%, uh, age 16 years. This is kind of, I mean, around the whiskey circles is known as kind of the near cast strength Highland Park. It's the regular Highland Park juice, similar to the 18 or the 12, um, but aged for 16 years, uh, bottled, not, well, not quite, uh, not at barrel strength, it has been watered down, but 52.1%. It's still, it's still got a fair bit of um, uh, heft to it. Um, nice, nice, excellent drink. It's coming down towards the two-fifth marker. very upsetting. I know, I know. It's there, be you gone. start to panic a little bit. You do. Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. What am I going to do? No, yeah. I'm going to hoard this. I don't imagine you've got a few of those in stock in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not a cheap drink, uh, not, not especially not at the LCBO. Um, no, and it's it's tough. I think you're making a good point, though. It's really hard these days with all these whiskeys coming out and selling out and just disappearing from existence. Now you're really looking at your cabinet, going, "Okay, how am I gonna yeah. plan out the next six months of my drinking? Because I want to make sure have I have some good this kind of whiskey or this bourbon or a rye. Uh, like I'm going down on Willet and Taylor Rye both at the same time, mm -hmm. and if I run out of one or the other. It's I'm going to be in trouble. It's very upsetting. Yeah. I've got my Thor and Loki. I was going through the Loki a little bit faster. Yeah. I'm still waiting to put Frey in there. <laughs> yeah. But, there, uh, I saw one. I yeah. saw one at King and Spadina of Freya. Yeah. Just one I was hoping solo. to get one from the office, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Is there yet. like the, okay, so you know in, in Devil Wears Prada, there's like a Vogue closet <laughs> of like all these clothes and shoes and everything. It would be my dream to go into like Beam Suntory and walk into their like equivalent of the Vogue closet. Like all this sort of, is it, does that exist or just in my brain? In a sense, um, there's the, the sales closet and the marketing closet. We all have different uh, POS and different uh, brands uh, squirreled away for different reasons. Oh, wow. They all have homes, so it's not like it's a free for all. No. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, you can walk in on any given day and go, oh, wow. 
hmm, I wonder if someone would notice. Yeah, they'd notice. Yeah, yeah they'd notice. I, I imagine this is sort of like, I would imagine this is like justified where there's like an, like an older man, gentleman sitting at the front that lived all, all right. his life, can't be bribed anymore. He's just like, he's, he's good. And then he just kind of lets you in and you have to sign, sign booze out. Is the that bonded c- tax man sitting there? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> you need well, the code for the closet. <laughs> now, Matt, how long have you been a brand ambassador for? Uh, five years. Five years. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of our listeners probably know the kind of work that you do day in and day out. It, it is an impressive, impressive job. Um, you talk about whiskey two, three, four times a day, basically. Yeah. Um, tell us about your day. Uh, well, it's uh, it's very rewarding in the sense that I've got access to all of these wonderful whiskeys. But I basically travel coast to coast across Canada doing on-trade as well as off-trade uh, trainings and seminars. So it's everything from consumer engagement, where we're actually holding events, like these mixogastro events, spirited dinners, uh, structured tastings, as well as speaking to bartenders um, on the trade about how to uh, kind of relay the stories of each of the brands. And go through, you know, when it comes to tastings, we don't try and fill them too much with, uh, you know, the jargon of tasting notes. It's more a, a couple of points of the history of each of the brands, what makes them special, a little bit of the heritage, and then a little bit about the tasting as well. Yeah. No, it's... Um Every time we hear Matt talk, we always hear something new and different, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. That's Matt's, awesome. Matt, Matt probably categorizes what he told us, and he's like, okay, I'm going to tell this story this time. <laughs> <laughs> I have worked a few stories around you guys being in the audience more than once, yes. <laughs> Pressure's on. It is, it is. I come from a, a, a bartending background. I've been a bartender for 16 years, so bourbon as um, as a base in cocktails is where I really fell in love with bourbon. Mm-hmm. And the more frequency I had with it, the more I started to drink it uh, neat by itself. Yeah. And actually, Maker's Mark was the first distiller I worked for, so I did a lot in terms of uh, cocktails with uh, with Maker's Mark, and then it really brought me into the category. We always joke about Maker's Mark being the the gateway bourbon, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. uh, it really showed me a whole different side to the American whiskey category. It's interesting with with cocktail making. It seems like you're almost like either a gin specialized in gin, rum, or whiskey. It seems to be that way. Like I always find bartenders have that favorite, and that's kind of what they started with. And then everything else is still good, but they they have that favorite. They started with their go-to category, kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you find that like your history as a bartender sort of like gives you a different perspective on the brands and being a brand ambassador rather than someone that comes from maybe a marketing background and sort of gets put. Yeah, definitely. There's been more of a new breed of brand ambassador over the last uh, five plus years that they're bringing folks from the trade that are on the front line, that, that have worked with these products, that know how to relate to guests, uh, not mm. just the, the marketing stories that you know come mm-hmm. from someone's computer in the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. And we're going to so we're going to talk about a little bit about marketing and um, and craft and everything else. Um, Jim Bean has been indirectly involved in some of these lawsuits. I think they've been thrown out, right? Like pretty much everything. The one has. in California was dismissed. I think the one in Florida still has to sit in front of a judge. But yeah, um, everything they're based on is kind of frivolous in a sense. But it's getting the dialogue going, which is also good. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So the truth in marketing, in terms of craft, in terms of handmade. All those different essences. I mean, what we do at Beam Centauri, especially with between craft whiskeys and then focusing on Maker's Mark, which is handmade right on the bottle. I mean, there's so much that happens uh, in terms of being touched by hand, right down to the to the wax uh, being hand applied. People say, "Well, how did that do anything for the whiskey?" <laughs> but I actually have my glass, and I feel so misled, and blah blah blah. But at the same time, it's opening up a bigger dialogue for the industry to maybe at some point quantify what these actually mean 
at the end of the day. I, I like what you said. It does it does raise interesting topics and interesting conversation. Because for me, and I don't I don't know if I don't see this too much, but for me, like Maker's Mark hand dipping every single one means you're employing people mm-hmm. in your community to hand dip. You could you can get a computer. I mean, you can just get a computer to do, like a robot to do that. It's it's it should be a really relatively easy process. But the fact that that handcrafted piece does mean you're employing people to do that job. I think that's that's great. It's an excellent thing to support. Um, and you know, I think there is a difference in bourbon. There's that history of like handmade, that kind of old school, this and that. It's been you know, whiskey distilleries have been looking like factories for a long time, right? They're, they're yeah. I mean, these are you know, distilleries are distilleries, but it is important to have that aspect of it. You're you're helping the community, and yeah, it all adds to the the romance around whiskey, which for sure is important. And Maker's Mark is the benchmark for that because, I mean, the, the smallest of the big guys. And then when you, you've been to the distillery, you've seen the workers there, whether it's, you know, they, they rotate that process every half an hour between the dipping and mm-hmm. between uh, uh, bottling and between receiving the empty bottles. They actually have to rotate that, that job just because of getting mundane doing that for six or eight hours. Yeah. But uh, there are so many jobs that are being done by hand on that shift. And then you look at Maker's Mark compared to some of the other big distilleries, the majority of them, they're employing way more people in one shift than the distilleries that are so heavily automated at the end of the day. So it's not just the dipping, it's punching out the labels. It's, uh, I mean, when you see the mash going into the vats at Maker's Mark, I mean, they're running up and downstairs, pulling levers by hand, yelling down to each other instead of just a big touch screen where someone's just hitting buttons one at a time and everything's completely automated that way. Yeah, so the maker's mark, maker's mark feels very comfortable. They're gonna win. <laughs> yep, <laughs> their their hands are touching things, and that's that's important. The precedent thing. is there, and it's been for you know yeah. how many years? Fifty eight years. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so have you been getting a lot of questions about this topic during whiskey tastings? Uh, not as much uh, on the consumer side because the awareness just isn't as much out there. But at trade shows, for sure. Mm. I mean, people that are paying attention to the industry and are hearing about this dialogue and. Uh, are saying, well, wait a second, what exactly does it mean? And the, the question that's being raised is, what does it mean? What, what does craft mean? What does handmade mean? How do you guys fit into that? And we can get, you know, six different applications of where people have touched the, the, the barrels, the bottles, the whiskey themselves, as opposed to, uh, opposed to just being automated. But, ha- you know, what, what does that mean for the rest of the industry in terms of handcrafted? You know, talk about Tito's handmade vodka. Um, that's one that didn't go through, that, that didn't go in their, in their favor because they just couldn't represent the fact that it was handmade, handcrafted. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm just, uh, it's so interesting because the, I, I don't know if it's ever, or it may or may not ever get to the point where it's legislated, where it's like, this is the actual definition of craft. You mm-hmm. have to touch it. Yeah, like 10 people have to, you know, have their hands on one bottle before. Like, it would be really interesting and, and what would happen to the marketing at that point? Like, where would we go from there? It's really, yeah. I think it's a fascinating thing. But like in my I think everybody has sort of an idea in their head of like what craft means and but it's just not necessarily agreed upon yet at this point cuz I I don't know if I would say like maker's mark is like I don't know. I don't think it would fall into that category for me. Well, if if craft is looked at as just the size of production. Right. And that's what a lot of you know, they 
always reference the um, craft brewing 20 years ago and what that looked like compared to the landscape now. Mm -hmm. um, is it the size of the distiller? Well, really yeah. small distilleries can produce really awful whiskeys too. Yes. <laughs> so is it just the, the fact exactly. that it's, uh, it's small production or is craft the process? Yeah. You know, craft can be process, it can be heritage. Uh, there's so many different factors that go into what, uh, what craft could actually mean if it were to be finally defined at some point. Yeah, I think, and there's a difference in uh, the craft beer market because I feel like if I get like a craft beer, I know it's from a little guy, and I don't like the beer. I paid you know three dollars or two dollars for it if I bought it at a you know store, like seven or eight dollars for it if I bought it at a bar as a drink of it. I'm not like my weight money isn't wasted, but when you're buying like you know a sixty, seventy, eighty dollar bottle of whiskey, that that's something you bought and then sits in your cabinet forever and you hate it. You're like, oh, I bought it and it's. <laughs> It's craft and it's from a little guy, but they just don't like their whiskey. And now I'm not ever drinking it and I'm reminded of the $60 I spent yeah. mm -hmm. on that bottle. And that's a problem. I mean, well, big distillers really know what they're doing. And, um, and it's, it does require some research. I mean, whiskey buying does require a lot of research in general. Um, but at least big distillers do have a very consistent product, very consistent flavor, and also probably the freedom to uh, throw away barrels or maybe reuse barrels to other products mm -hmm. when the whiskey inside isn't as good. Such as your smoked maple <laughs> flavored whiskey. Uh -oh. Here comes the segue. Yeah. I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just get this one out on the table. <laughs> let's just put it out there, gentlemen. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we did. We did. I uh, want to talk about uh, smoke whiskey. Like we, we we've talked about the show before, and, and Matt Matt listens to the podcast. And was like, I have some things to say about the uh, smoked maple. I always get it wrong. Knob what is Creek it? Smoked maple. It is Knob Creek smoked, smoked maple. maple. Yeah. yeah. Now the, the flavored whiskey category in general, mm -hmm. uh, it is driving the growth in the numbers and volumes of whiskey in North America. I mean, last year it was uh, it only counted for like 11, 12 percent of all the whiskey that was. Uh, that was distributed, but it was still driving the growth and it's driving folks into the category. And the idea of course, is that you start with something a little bit more accessible, something flavored, you'll graduate into, into the category as it were. It's one way to look at it. Another is the fact that flavored whiskey is a great cocktail ingredient and it sh really should be looked at as an ingredient, uh, for cocktails. Knob Creek, um, smoked maple, Whiskey sour is one of my favorites to uh, to make. Mm. Doing the egg white sour with the fresh uh, fresh lemon juice, yeah. balance of simple syrup. You don't need a lot of simple syrup because, as we know, Knob Creek smoked maple has an uh, inherent sweetness to it. If you're to put this on the rocks, add a, uh, a lemon zest and a dash of bitters, no sugar. It's sweet enough. You've mm. basically got a smoked maple old fashioned. So no, it's not meant for the the connoisseur per se. But the larger question is why Knob Creek? I mean, Jim Beam has already been doing flavors. Why yeah. would they? look at Knob Creek as uh, a target for a flavored whiskey. But Knob Creek is a small batch craft, the, the line extensions with the single barrel, with the rye, why the flavor? And I actually got the pleasure to ask the folks that innovated uh, that whiskey why. They felt the time was right. Um, they might have scratched their heads after going, ah, Knob Creek, I don't know, it might dilute the brand a little bit, but the success that it's had, especially in the US, has their ROI has already kind of proven itself in that sense. But at the end of the day, it's not necessarily meant for connoisseurs uh, as a sipping whiskey. Yeah. Now, one thing to get out of the way, another <laughs> elephant in the room regarding uh, flavored whiskey. There was no smoker maple harmed in the making of this whiskey. <laughs> uh, and that goes for, you know, the majority of flavored whiskeys. It's, it's artificial flavors, but at the end of the day, it's all natural because the 
the technicians that put together these flavor compounds, they have over 3,500 different resins, oleoresins, tinctures that are all natural ingredients mm -hmm. that are put together in a proprietary formulation to get smoked maple. <laughs> right. And arguably, it's very, uh, very authentic uh, maple flavor. But people right away are like, oh my God, breakfast pancakes and i joke about it as being a breakfast whiskey <laughs> in terms of uh you know i joke about putting on your cornflakes but at the end of the day drizzle a little bit like a quarter ounce on bacon after you've uh finished cooking oh, it infused yeah. into the uh, the bacon is beautiful in a sauce in a dessert yeah. so there's so many applications it's not necessarily meant to just be sipped neat or on the rocks i um I, I like like the like I, I mentioned on the podcast before that uh, the branding is fantastic. The Knob Creek, like it just the bottle looks like you just want to eat this, yeah, uh, drink it. Um, so you're not you're not finding a lot of confusion there with like an audience, somebody being like, oh, this is whiskey, and then having like the actual Knob Creek that's like fifty percent or sixty percent right. alcohol, and being like, whoa. This I've had nobody said they've been duped or they, they <laughs> thought they were buying one product and they were getting another yeah. and being upset. I mean, it, it says right on I mean, the one misleading thing when people think of flavoring, you automatically think of a liqueur. And Knob Creek Smoked Maple is uh, it's 45%. Right. It's very far from liqueur. But the sweetness and the flavor that is there. I mean, liqueur is at 35% alcohol in general. Does it, I guess, so it qualifies as like a regular whiskey? So it's got like no more than 2.5% additive? Is that the idea? Well, I get on the label. Um, it says bourbon. If you scratch your heads, going, wait a second, yeah. bourbon mm -hmm. by the you know by the definition of bourbon can add additives, but it says bourbon flavored product. Right. It, it says it's uh, it's enhanced with flavor. Bourbon that's been enhanced with flavor. Is it in the whiskey category? Uh, it is. Okay. Yeah. So there you but go. There you go. In Ontario specifically, mm -hmm. um, it's not a consistent shelf facing. Yep. It was kind of like a one time buy that comes through a couple times a year. So when you do find it, you will find it more often in the specialty areas where they, they bring in uh, specialty whiskeys um, and is priced as such. But uh, it's not a, a, a regular listing on the shelf with, uh, with the re rest of the Knob Creeks together. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, too, because you're right. I mean, this does bring a lot of um, fireball being huge mm -hmm. and having a higher-end product that's actually got, you know, it's a boozy I, I can't taste the booze on me. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so if i've difficult. ever had it i don't know i'm trying to think about if I i've ever had I, it i, I don't still haven't so. forgiven that for serving it to me once I oh no <laughs> uh, i mean you do sort of have to start somewhere and i think that we talked about maker's mark as being sort of a gateway bourbon but there is something to be said for people coming from a flavored whiskey or even like i sort of drank manhattan's way before i had straight whiskey mm -hmm. so it's sort of and arguably manhattans can be quite sweet and quite you know like big on that sort of flavor and then from there i just it's sort of like you know renegotiated how i like my manhattans and then all of a sudden i was drinking straight yeah you know so uh, yeah i get i mean i wouldn't like reach for a bottle like right now but like i definitely i get it there is a there's a space for everything except there's for in ontario where there's not a lot of space for. <laughs> I mean, with all these whiskeys, there's a time, a place, and an occasion. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And cocktails are a different occasion than just sipping whiskey. Mm -hmm. there, there's always a, a, you drink a cocktail to refresh, to impress. There's many different reasons and different reasons why you go to a specific bartender or a specific bar. I mean, that wasn't the case 10 years ago in our neck of the woods <laughs> as yeah. much mm -hmm. as it is now mm -hmm. because uh, bartenders and, and, and cocktail boutique restaurants are, are very uh, specialized in, in what they do in specific bartenders. But it's for a completely different occasion at the end of the day. 
I'm a Maker's Mark ambassador. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but it's a very special part of my personality that I've got a maker, a barrel of Maker's Mark sitting there with my name on it. And What's your barrel number? I have to open my app. <laughs> I'll find out for you right now. Um, I do, and you, it's so funny because it's Trent's got a different barrel number, and I was like, let's see whose barrel's better. Um, so now it's going to be a competition. But it's awesome because I, when I went to Maker's Mark on their tour, there was a couple guys there that, that were getting their barrels. So like they had the inside scoop on the ambassador program way before I did. And they had like these ribbons on and everything. And I was like, I want to be that guy. They're like rolling out the red carpet. And these guys got to like, they got their special bottles and they got to dip them. And it was a whole thing. So anyway, so tell us a little bit about like my barrel. <laughs> the ambassadors get the ultra VIP treatment. And yes. it's uh, one of the best loyalty programs in the industry, in any industry really. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, you're familiar with Friends of Lafroig. It was the same mm -hmm. company that uh, did that back in the day. Basically, you sign up to become an ambassador. You know, you pledge an oath to always spread the gospel of, uh, of Maker's Mark. But what you get is you get little business cards with your ambassador number on it. You get a little booklet and a, basically a folio to say that you were uh, yes, enrolled in the super program. super legit. Like, it's like a real thing. Very official. Very official. A personalized message from Bill Samuels mm -hmm. Jr. himself. Mm -hmm. And now Rob Samuels, eighth generation. Yes. But you get your name on a barrel of whiskey, currently yes. aging in one of our warehouses. Yeah. Now you do share share the nameplate with uh, with a few others on there. But the kicker is that when your whiskey has matured anywhere from five and a half to seven years, you get that VIP invitation to come down, be paraded around the distillery with your little ribbon on there, My let ribbon, everybody know you're wait. there to get your whiskey, <laughs> and you get to leave with I believe it's a liter size with your name on the bottle. Mm -hmm. And the only thing this entire um, program costs is liquid in the taxes. <laughs> That's yes. it. That's amazing. That's it. And That's on top amazing. of which, you got stuff for Christmas. I was going to say, I got a Christmas present yeah. in the mail. I you did. emails from the family, letting yes. everyone know about different events that are coming up. I loved it. I love being a part of it. I think it makes me feel like extremely special. I think last year was the uh, Maker's Mark toque. Oh, I got the scarf. Oh, the scarf? It was yeah. a scarf. The Maker's 46 scarf. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the other one is the, uh, the toque. And then there was oh. the ugly sweater. So does it come out like every year, like a different one? Because yep. I really want to dress my I got a tie one year, wrapping <laughs> paper, uh, lots of different things. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome because you, there, there are like, uh, like maybe a dozen of these special clubs like that. And I feel like a lot of them have pulled back on what they offered. I heard like Glenn Livid had, used to have a good one where you had the special card and you went to a Glenn Livid event and they always had like, the Glenlivet 25 year old and under the table they, they would serve you wow but it doesn't happen anymore and it's really great to see Lafroig has a great one as well I think that's a good example you your own square foot of Isla yeah you, <laughs> when you go there you can like step on what? it and, and I assume oh, yeah. you can well Thor is around so Thor just marked that square uh, nice you know the the collie breed is from Scotland it's uh I'm, I'm very appropriate with my dog choice there you go <laughs> Um, so uh, Maker's Mark versus Jim Beam as far as tours, um, what, do you, what, are, what are our expectations for, for both? A different scope. Maker's Mark is a little more hands-on. Um, I mean, the grounds at Maker, Maker's Mark was the first stop on the Bourbon Trail. Margie Samuels had a vision right from the get-go that folks would want to come to the distillery and see where their whiskey was made in a time where people didn't want to go to the plant, the, the place where they made the whiskey. It just wasn't top of mind. But she knew that there would be a time, so she was a, a visionary in that. They attracted a lot of people, and since then they've had the best tour, I believe, on, on, on the trail. 
um, very engaged and very hands-on. I mean, you stick your fingers in the mash. Mm -hmm. You get to actually taste the beer at the different stages of fermentation. If you're really lucky, depending who's doing the tour, you might even get to taste some of the white dog off of the, um, of the high wine coming off the second distillation. Uh, you get to see where the grains are actually um, milled. You get to go to the top of the, of the, sorry, the still house and actually feel the heat that is up there with uh, the top of the beer still. Um, and go down and see where the, uh, the labels are punched out in sheets of 20, one at a time, by hand, quite literally. It's a very, I mean, the whole thing about makers is it is the model of inefficiency. I mean, that's what they're very <laughs> proud of. How they process everything is different than every other distillery. Um, and if, you, if you're really lucky, you get to go in the lab and actually see what's going on there. I mean, it looks like CSI in there. I mean, they've got the, uh, they measure parts per million, parts per trillion. People say, well, I don't understand. Isn't Maker's Mark age to taste? Why do you have all the science in there? The truth is that we have the people there to make sure the machines are doing their jobs. Because yeah. at the end of the day, we can find out if there's a variance in the whiskey, but we need the technology and the science to kind of quantify what that is. But literally walking in to this little house that is you know, part of the original uh, structures there and then walking into a lab and seeing what's going on there. But then seeing all the samples out there that are actually sampled and nosed by official Maker's Mark uh, testers that come in and, and select the different, uh, the different whiskeys. So to see all that come together and mm -hmm. be a part of every step of the way. And then Jim Beam is quite literally like the Disney World of distilleries. It's, it's, you, you pull up to the front of the distillery and you, you know, you've got uh, a bronze statue of Booker Noah sitting by the well. You've got Jim Beam branding everywhere. You've got the T. Jeremiah house. You've got a huge gift shop. You've got the whole experience. And then you get to go through a very planned tour in, in terms of um, each station that you go to and it represents different parts of, uh, of, of the whiskey as it's being made. They have kind of a craft area where they make their whiskeys. You can still dump some of the, um, uh, a scoop of uh, barley into the mash of an actual mash that's getting made, but it's more about the visual aspect of how, um, how the whiskey's actually, actually done. No, that's excellent. That, that's, and it goes back to hand, handmade and handcrafted. You literally have tourists going through and helping yeah. <laughs> you in the labor is what you're saying right now. You're like, ah, we're, yeah, we need Cut some extra hands costs. scooping in these, uh, <laughs> <mash>. <laughs> let's reduce our labor costs. Exactly. No, that's great. I, I've done a Jim Beam tour. I've not been to Maker's Mark actually. So that's, Maker's uh, Mark that's is we got to fix that. So, we got to fix that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like it's a really stunningly gorgeous, uh, distillery. And that's one thing that I remember so clearly about being at Maker's Mark is it's a bit of a drive. Like it's not exactly close to any it's other. It's the most remote of all the big distilleries yeah. for sure. So you sort of go on this big drive, but you end up going through that. Like, I mean, they've got a beautiful covered bridge over Whiskey Creek. It looks so picturesque. You just want to live there. Little tidbit for you. That's actually the shortest covered bridge in America. <laughs> <laughs> what a thing to be known for. <laughs> and right down the path is the uh, America's first uh, drive through liquor store. Did they take oh, you to the courthouse? I don't think so. It, don't it, think you so. could peek in through the bars, but it's actually, uh, oh. literally, you'd pull up in your horse and buggy, give your coins for your court, get your court filled, and oh. then drive off. 
That would be a dream come true. <laughs> How much trouble day. could you get into nowadays, right? Like, that's awesome. As long as the horse is driving. That's, right. yeah, that's true. That's, Actually, yeah. never like thought about driver. that. Drunk yeah. driving was not a thing back in the day when your horse was in charge. Unless you're, like, really chaotic with your horse and, like, go faster. But your horse is no. probably like, horse I know what's up. Home. I know what's I got it. Yeah. Relax, drunkie. Just like, we're cool. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> I'll get you there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> but, yeah, I love I, I haven't been to the new Jim Beam. Jim Beam, um, many, many years ago, was the first sort of time I ever did a, a, a whiskey tasting. Um, and it was just on a, again, a road trip back from Florida that we were like, let's go here. And then Sotra and I pulled off the road and we went to Jim Beam for an hour or so, but it, not since the new sort of American still house mm-hmm. has opened. We haven't been there yet, but Maker's Mark is so pretty. It's so and it's got this crazy when you first go in it's got this like these crazy rooms that like talk to you and like, you can pick up the phone and like listen in on a conversation it's, like, it is pretty intense like it's awesome like I loved it I got a kick out of it something scared like somebody like one of the pictures started talking scared the bejesus out of me and then when we were just waiting for our tour and then like two other people came in and the same thing happened. Like they were standing near a picture that started talking and they were like, ah! and I was like, careful, picture talks. It really is a full sensory yeah. uh, <laughs> tour. You get very it's engaged. Very, yeah, you do. It was, and it's, it, the thing is, is sometimes, you know, you're sitting and waiting in some of these distilleries, you get there and maybe you haven't planned it quite as well as you should have in the first place, but you get there and a the tour has just left. And they're like, there's not really a whole lot of, places to go around Maker's Mark. So they were like, oh, just hang out here. Like, there's enough to, like, learn about just in this sort of immediate visitor center that you can just hang around for, like, half an hour in the next one. So it's true. It was sort of, like, half an hour later, and I was still staring at the talking picture. (laughs) (laughs) You're very suspicious that picture. How does this work? I was like, what's happening over here? Like, these pictures are talking to each other. The phone's ringing. I should probably get it. And I was like, hello? (laughs) Trent's laughing and he's in the kitchen and there's like this this like wax thing that's going on. It's a it's a bit of a riot. Like yeah. I loved it and it's well, the kitchen tell. is kind of a, a replica of, of Margie's kitchen where she experimented loved with the, the wax and the, the family deep fryer back in the I day. Love it. I actually, talk yeah. about Margie for because you mentioned yes, a couple please times. Talk but about like that was the the, yes. the few minutes the the few minutes on Margie for sure. Not everybody will be familiar. Well, Bill Samuels Sr. was a genius when it came to making the Maker's Mark flavor profile, how he engineered the process to, to be such a, I mean, the first premium bourbon after Prohibition, 25 years after Prohibition. But the often unsung hero of the book. brand. Oh, that's right. There you go. Um, the often unsung hero of the, the duo, of course, is Margie. And Bill wasn't as much of a visionary in terms of marketing. And he was kind of a humble guy in terms he didn't think that Bill Samuels had the same ring as Jim Beam or Jack Daniels in terms of uh, getting his name out there. And, of course, he came from a distilling family. Their whiskey was uh, T.W. Samuels. Um, but he, of course, abandoned that, uh, that recipe and that distillery and that label. So when it came time to release his new whiskey, his weeded uh, bourbon profile, um, he was kind of in a, in a pickle because he had no idea what to name the whiskey. And, of course, Margie was there to save the day. She was uh, very creative, and she was also a bit of a, of a collector. She used to collect um, vintage cognac bottles, and that's where the first shape of the bottle came from. It was emulated after a, a cognac bottle, and the most premium in her collection actually had the wax. 
So it denoted premium, and it also kept down the evaporation. So she first, of course, uh, suggested to Bill that they dip the, the bottles in wax, and he didn't like that idea in the beginning. But, of course, she experimented in secret, and eventually that became the, uh, the trademark because she dipped the very first bottles that came down the line in 1958. And, yeah, Bill had to give it an audience as well as everybody else at the distillery that day. But everything to do with the package and the marketing of Maker's Mark really came from Margie, and she was not a marketer. She did not work in the industry. She literally, it came from uh, from her passions of, of collecting pewter ornaments. That's where they got the name for Maker's Mark. It was on the most exquisite pieces of pewter in her collection, had the, the Maker's Mark stamp on the bottom. She even came up with the Maker's Mark. It was modeled after the family cattle brand, um, Star for Star Hill Farms, uh, where the, 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 the kids grew up. Samuel's family for the S and the fourth generation of legal whiskey distillers. And she was also an amateur calligrapher. That label was done by hand, and it wasn't digitized until 1990. So it was literally printed out every single time. That, on top of the fact that she knew that the distillery would eventually become a destination for tours, I mean, she really took Maker's Mark to the next level on the, on the marketing side. She was finally inducted into the Bourbon Hall of Fame last year for her influence and being the first woman in history to uh, name and market a bourbon and really change the game of how the marketers looked at uh, marketing their whiskeys. So, I mean, they're really a power couple between Bill and, uh, and Margie together. She passed away in 1984. Unfortunately, she didn't get to know um, that she would be inducted to have this honor in the Bourbon yeah. Hall of Fame, but it's, uh, it's pretty great that she's finally getting the acknowledgement for, for that. Yeah. She sounds badass. She, she was. sounds she awesome. Was. Yeah. And you ask your son, uh, Bill Jr., what she would have thought of this honor of being inducted in the Hall of Fame. And quite humbly, he's pretty sure she would have said, well, what was I supposed to do? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Bill didn't have a name. He didn't have a package. I couldn't just let, let him hang out there to dry. <laughs> you get to help him out. That's awesome. And she was a visionary, for sure. You hear the, that uh, the word on the block is that uh, the maker's mark recipe is actually the original Pappy, the Van Winkle sort of weeded recipe. Is that true? Well, in terms of what they tell you at the distillery, <laughs> Bill did experiment with many different grains. He did go through many different mash bills, and he eventually settled on a weeded bourbon profile. What they don't necessarily mention to you is the fact that um, Pappy Van Winkle, actually Julian Van Winkle the first, Pappy himself, was a dear friend of Bill's, and he actually was one of the ones, including Lem Motlow, um, Jack Daniels' grandnephew, the guy that was in charge of uh, Jack Daniels back in the day, Bill actually interned for Lem. And Lem is one of the guys that pushed him back in the industry. He said, you come from a distilling heritage. There was a time when Bill wasn't going to make whiskey. He abandoned the family recipe, and he decided he was not going to get back into the industry. One of the pushes was actually Margie. She basically said, you need to get a job or a hobby or get out of my house. <laughs> so this is the perfect uh, time for him to get back in the industry. But Lem Motlow was a key influencer as well as Julian Van Winkle. And mm -hmm. when Bill would talk about not necessarily liking rye, he didn't like the bitterness of rye. He didn't like the complexity and the spice of rye. He wanted something softer. And, of course, Julian was uh, in charge of uh, Stitzel Weller and... Um, of course, uh, Old Fitzgerald, W.L. Weller, all of these weeded bourbon profiles. One would eventually, of course, become uh, Old Rip Van Winkle, eventually, you know, the DNA for the Pappies that we know today. It was basically the same mash bill. 
And if you talk to Michael Veach, um, bourbon historian, or if you read um, uh, Pappy's uh, great-granddaughter's uh, book, um, Sally, uh, of fine bourbon, they'll mention that the yeast strain that was given to mm. Bill was actually from the, uh, the uh, Stitzelweller DNA as well. But it's mm. what started uh, him on that path with the weeded bourbon, but everything he did after that is what made Maker's Mark uh, very unique how he processed the grains, how he slow cooked instead of pressure cooking, right up to the fact that he decided to taste test every batch every season to find out how it was doing. Now that's not necessarily unheard of, but what is unheard of in North America for, for whiskey is he then decided where in the warehouse to rotate the barrels to maximize the temperature difference in the warehouse, summer to winter, to decide how the whiskey was aging. So everything he did with that recipe became uniquely Maker's Mark, but the DNA did start off as... Uh, from his good friend Julian Van Winkle the first. How um how old were the original Maker's Mark aged for like back in the day? What was the what the was very it? first batch that yeah. released in 1958 was five years. Five years, and yeah. that's the youngest, uh, to my understanding, that we've ever bottled. Right, because I that's the whole idea behind aging is like it used to be younger whiskey, and then nobody was buying whiskey as much. Yeah. So like, oh, well, we've got this stuff laying around for eight years or 12 years in case of scotch. Like, yeah. we've got 18-year-old scotch because nobody's drinking this stuff, so this just stayed in the barrels. And then now it's like the opposite's happening. Everybody's buying whiskey, and you're like, oh. The forecasting. Yeah, right? forecasting's like, a problem. Uh, well, yeah. We didn't think we'd have this many. In 2015, how many people were actually going to be drinking bourbon when they thought about it 20 years ago? Yeah. So, yeah. That's what's different with Makers is the fact that it's never been a birthday bourbon. It's never been to a calendar month or year it's always been to a, a flavor profile mm -hmm. so the youngest has been five years on average five and a half to seven i think the oldest was back in the early 2000s we had a big cold snap in kentucky and that directly affected the aging process but they leave it as that window five and a half to seven i think the majority of uh, makers mark that's actually being bottled at the moment is in around that uh, six year mark six to six and a half years mm -hmm. yeah and the makers mark 46 mm -hmm. uh tell us about that well, that's, uh, again, getting back to craft whiskey and talking about process. Um, I mean, we may, do make a lot of Makers 46, but the process itself is actually with toasted French oak. So we take Makers Mark that's been aged to taste, anywhere from that five and a half to seven year uh, mark, once it hits the flavor profile, we vat it, we take those uh, barrels, um, we actually take the barrel head off and insert 10, eight to 10 French oak staves that are toasted. So instead of charring, no fire actually hits the oak. So we're caramelizing all the wood sugars with heat. It's actually toasted. Quite literally, it's a conveyor oven that almost looks like a pizza oven that these uh, French oak staves go through. And it caramelizes the wood sugars and brings out that wonderful toasted vanilla flavor profile from that French oak, which of course being a bit of a denser grain. Um, and those are inserted into the barrel. Then the whiskey goes back in, it's sealed up, and then the barrels go back in the warehouse in the wintertime for two, two and a half months. So quite literally, it's a cold infusion. Huh. And the result is the cognac of bourbon. It's really got that baking spice quality, the clove, the vanilla, the cinnamon. Uh, it's 47% alcohol, and it's called 46. People are like, oh, it's got to be 46%, or it's age 46 years. <laughs> yeah, great marketing, but <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, it was the 46th process that they tried. So the, the, the recipe number given to the degree of the type of wood, the degree of toast, and the time in the barrel was literally a recipe. And they kept going back to recipe or process number 46. So that's that? how they actually named it. 
I it's a bigger, that. bolder version of uh, of Makers. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely more the uh, the sipping style of uh, of Makers. Uh, it's always in my top three, to be honest, for bourbons. It's yeah. um, it's it's a really good warm weather whiskey. Talk about climate change. Yeah. It kind of like summertime. What are you drinking? Like that. That's a good one for like it's warm. You want a whiskey. Uh, you want it to be smooth. I, I the notes are there. The mouth feels there. Everything yeah. about it is is right there. Um, in, in that that hotter weather. I was enjoying it the other day, so I'm I'm very much like enjoying yeah. it. We finished a bottle. <laughs> yeah, that's more accurate. We we did. We we went through a few bottles and. Um, you know, I realized, you know, like we, we had a few different balls of, um, yeah, anyway. Enjoying yes. being a relative term. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah. We were very much enjoying that bottle. Yeah. So uh, speaking of summertime, uh, cocktail, what's, what's your mm. favorite cocktail recipe for this time of year? Bourbon cocktails in the summer. Uh, wow. I mean, just the, the, the history alone of, uh, of making cocktails in the summertime, but we talk about lost a lot of this in the tastings that we do in terms of is there a wrong way to drink bourbon whiskey or whiskey in general we say no is there an optimal way of course of course there is in the summertime i preferably like to have my whiskey on the rocks but it's not when i'm generally looking to just sip on the whiskey and appreciate uh, all that concentrated flavor i'm looking to be refreshed instead of drinking a beer instead of drinking a soda or something i'll put my whiskey on the rocks and it drinks like kentucky sweet tea and that's yeah. really the tradition behind it but then when you take it a step further uh, in cocktails the quintessential cocktail of summer the mint julep i mean bar none mm-hmm. it starts off as basically the grandfather of the cocktail the sling which is spirits sugar and water so you know, basically medicine back in the day. <laughs> so it was actually... Uh, what do you mean back in the day? <laughs> <laughs> right. Medicinal. Is that still not medicine? <laughs> it is. Know. I mean, it's basically a cold toddy. Yeah. You drink a hot toddy in the wintertime yes. to uh, stave off yes. a, a cough or a fever. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> but it actually, it was the original cup of coffee back in the 1600s before caffeine was exported to the West. It was breakfast. Spirits, sugar, and water. Hmm. <laughs> now you steep that in mint. And you basically have a, a minted sling or a mint julep. A julep is actually an interchangeable term with a sling. They both mm-hmm. mean basically a sugar water concoction that has spirits in it. Mm-hmm. The original julep would have been made with, uh, with brandy and quite often flavored with uh, Georgia peaches. That was pretty much the, the original style of julep. But uh, the availability of, uh, of grape distillates kind of dried up at the end of the 1800s. And... Um, whiskey became the uh, the standard, particularly in Kentucky and Georgia and different places. Bourbon was the standard in that drink. So refreshing. Um, the mint julep should be basically a minted adult bourbon snow cone <laughs> at yes. the end of the day. So think crushed ice, yes. minted um, uh, bourbon, and a raw sugar syrup garnished with fresh mint. I, I do yep. think I have fresh mint in the home right now from uh, Liz's garden, Ben and Liz's garden. So we, we may be doing a spontaneous. We do uh, hey, oh, we can make that happen. We love spontaneous. <laughs> yeah. And I Basil brought, Hayden is great in a mint julep. There you go. I should have brought my. That we have like a because you don't normally have like an ice crusher in your home. I you do probably, <laughs> but I have a bag that I slam against my floor 
And then that's how I make crushed ice. Your poor neighbors. They hate me in the summer because I'm just like, Urgh. and it's like, it's not like, it's not very glamorous, but like I, we went and bought like the special like cups and everything. So I, I, I strongly agree with you. I'm going to help you out with this. We're going to take it a step further. Oh boy. Because there is a tool that is uh, used um, for making crushed ice that's traditional. It's not great for volume crushed ice in a restaurant, but for the application you're speaking of, it's smashing Slamming that bag against the floor. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually a mallet. And the the bag, the the cloth linen bag traditionally used, it's called a, a Lewis bag. Okay. So you have a Lewis bag and a mallet. I've got one that looks like Thor's hammer. Quite awesome. Literally, it's very it's top great. heavy and it crushes the ice. Very cool. But I do have uh, exactly. <laughs> I do have a um, uh, a Knob Creek Basil Hayden mallet that I can I can give yeah. to you, and that just helps really get the consistency so of the crushed ice. Yeah. yeah, and take it out in the front step. Okay. <laughs> as opposed to your kitchen floor oh, kitchen floor <laughs> yeah. and there's always like a couple of huge giant ice cubes that I just cannot seem to get and the rest of it is like snow yeah so I need a little more consistency so this is fair this I'm happy mallet that you thing got the, the cups hey the julep cups. I have them yeah. because mint juleps are like some of my faves but again they're relatively like labor intensive for me <laughs> with all the do you warn Trent before you're doing this or does he just like kind of he's like I'm doing up, the I'm dishes yeah, and all yeah, of a sudden yeah. like jumps and drops everything yeah he that knows seems like a scary he's noise. like ooh we're having mint juleps like I'm on the floor and he's like ooh looks like you're making mint juleps down there that's very exciting I can't wait so yeah, <laughs> yeah no they're they're and so easy so refreshing and you know you know I, the key to uh, a great consistent julep is tell me steep the mint in the whiskey beforehand oh, do that for four hours or put it in the fridge oh. or even put it up in the, the on the patio and let oh. it get sun kissed for That's a few hours lovely. and as the alcohol as a solvent gets into the mint it starts to brown it starts to kind of burn the leaves that's when you know it's time to take the the mint away and then when you taste that whiskey that's now minted it's not fantastic by any means it, it, it smells right. very vegetal it's got a little bitterness to it a little hint of mint the key is the sugar so yeah. when you take mm. your raw sugar syrup yeah. and blend that to taste and then you're batched. You crush all your rice before your guests arrive. So you're you get not the, slamming on the floor it. in the middle of the party. <laughs> you get your glasses ready and you just keep pouring. Awesome. <laughs> it's That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I did do, once I did an infusion, like speaking of that, of like rosemary and bourbon. Mm. And it was a delight. What's your favorite bourbon infusion? Mm. Well, I do do a lot of uh, bacon and uh, oh. uh, animal fat infusions. Can you uh, tell one us of my a favorites. Bit about this? Well, basically, the uh, of course I can. <laughs> Did I bring any today? No. <laughs> uh, the idea of a fat wash is basically you render the fat from the the meat that you're using. Uh, you don't use the meat itself. I've heard a lot of people trying to infuse bacon into whiskey or other. Um, distillates and they're actually cooking the bacon and just dropping it into a bottle or a container and pouring the whiskey on top that's not going to get the same result uh take a pound of bacon cook it on medium flip it once only takes about 10 minutes you don't want to caramelize it too much drain the fat away bring it down to room temperature before it starts to solidify put it into a sealable container drop a ball of knob creek on top uh give that a shake seal it give it a shake at this point it looks pretty gross you don't want to touch it at this stage you don't want to taste it um, let that infuse on the countertop for about an hour and then put it in the freezer. Four to six hours or overnight, doesn't matter really how long you leave it, um, but once it freezes, essentially the fat rises to the top and washes through the whiskey. That's what we call it, a fat wash. You're left with this crust on the top of all the fat. The whiskey, of course, does not freeze. You poke a hole in the top, pour it out through a cheesecloth, 
and then painstakingly and time-consumingly put it through a coffee filter, maybe a couple coffee filters, and literally the whiskey will look like it did, it should look like it did before you added the fat. Now you're left with this caramelized bacon fat enhanced whiskey, oh, which at this point, to be honest to touch, the aroma is amazing, but not a great flavor until you add sweetness to it, whether it be maple mm. <laughs> or maybe a raw sugar syrup. And then, I mean, that's fantastic in a Caesar, like in Sunday brunch. Oh. Bacon infused bourbon as the base for your Caesar. Yeah. But the best one I've ever done that I keep going back to, um, I first time I did it was a few years ago, I rendered my own duck fat. I actually got the duck skin, made the cracklings, that oil, the fat looked like olive oil, the consistency of it. Put it with a bottle of Alberta Premium Dark Horse. Did that fat wash. Um, overnight, same thing. And then sweeten that with maple syrup. But now you've got another level to this. Not only do you have duck fat infused whiskey, you now have whiskey infused duck fat to cook with. Oh. And that is so decadent. Oh, and man. brown butter, uh, caramelized brown butter with basil hayden. Take a, a cup of butter, reduce it down, sprinkle a little bit of brown sugar, but don't caramelize it too much, and then marry that in the same process with basil hayden. And you've now got whiskey-infused butter to cook with on top of <laughs> having a butter-infused whiskey <laughs> to make a cocktail with. <laughs> I was really That's... hoping that you would say that again because I remember you during one of your tastings you talked about it and I was like oh I must remember this of course I didn't remember it so now I've got yeah, it. You yeah, go. recorded. it it's recorded I'm gonna I'm gonna do it it's gonna be great oh. now fat washing has taken on its its own thing in the last couple of years um, seeing a lot more a lot of uh, celebrity bartenders have popularized in the US you do have to be mindful of the kitchen and how you're, you know, preparing it. You know, you know people taking just meat and throwing it in a whiskey and expecting <laughs> to get a result. It's not going to be the same thing. So you do have to be mindful of, uh, of the process, but the result is uh, pretty amazing. Oh my gosh. I am both Ooh. hungry yeah. <laughs> and a little tired and of hearing how long that process is. I know, but right? I'm lazy. Yeah, this is not my. <laughs> That's awesome. So next time, bring the fat wash whiskey. Okay. Under- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are awesome. That's like next level infusions. That's like, I was like, I put some rosemary in my four roses. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> Another great uh, yeah. summer cocktail with bourbon is ginger beer as yes. a mixer. Uh, yes. Um, a cheeky play on a Moscow mule is a Kentucky mule with bourbon and ginger beer. Mm-hmm. And I love, I mean, I might overuse ginger beer a little bit uh, with my variety of cocktails, but I love mixing Devil's Cut with ginger beer mm-hmm. um, or Knob Creek. Uh, specifically I am it's almost true that if you take any recipe and remove the vodka and add a whiskey it's a better drink yeah. <laughs> that, that's pretty much true like <laughs> flavor no flavor uh. yeah I mean really I think this is just a rule of life if yeah. you have you see a recipe like eh, add vodka yeah screw the vodka just add add whiskey, add whiskey and you're, you're you're good you're gonna go in a good direction golden yeah. amazing that's and your great. guests will be like, oh, there's something different about this. Yeah, like, yeah, it tastes Caesar. amazing. Yeah, oh, that's a whiskey. It's got flavor. It's got flavor. <laughs> <laughs> whiskey drinkers are such a holes about vodka. It's we are. That is actually true. We 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 uh, we make fun oh, of snobby man. whiskey drinkers, but no, we we are all. We are a holes about vodka. Yeah, I noticed when I was earlier on, I was like, oh, you either drink with gin, whiskey, or rum. I didn't even mention vodka. Didn't even like, mention vodka. <laughs> not like, even considered. Uh, I'm not saying no. the V word. It's not the one that. Vodka is a great it. alcohol delivery system if you don't yes. want to <laughs> really taste what you're imbibing. Yeah. I mean, like authentic Eastern European vodka when you sit down with uh, some of your 
Polish, Ukrainian, or Russian friends, and you have it at dinner. It's ice cold, and it's got it's got a nice intensity to it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there, there is as, that vodka as, flavor. Yes. That's, it does exist. But, but the kind of North American market vodka is, is uh, well, meant to taste like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doesn't do as much for you. Um, what about the uh, nightlife in Kentucky? So you, you must travel to Kentucky all the time. I'm sure, like, every second week you're you're in Kentucky going to home base. Oh, I wish it was being... that frequent. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. My liver wouldn't uh, be too happy about that, but... I get to go down about uh, two to three times a year. Yeah. Uh, lead uh, basically as a tour guide, uh, folks from trade and media and journalists from Canada, and uh, take folks down to the distilleries and have the full-on experience. But as much as it's about Kentucky and it's about the bourbon, it's really about the people and the towns and Louisville and the nightlife and the, just the history. There's just you just literally soak up so much history yeah. uh, when you're there. And the food. Oh, my oh. goodness. And the food. <laughs> yes. I, my, my favorite part of going there is you just, you have, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but like a couple of years ago, you would go and none of your favorite whiskeys were really on the menu. But now, like all the oh, bars yeah. have it figured out. Mm -hmm. They're like any rare whiskey, it's going to be on the menu. It's going to be poured, uh, which is great. Food, food's great. I mean, I quite enjoy it. The tours are excellent. Uh, what, what's the nightlife like? What do you enjoy? What kind of bars do you like going to? Everything from a dive bar, karaoke bar called Third Street Dive, just off Third Street behind the Marriott, which you really wouldn't find it off the, the beaten trail, but it is uh, the coolest dive bar ever. <laughs> uh, they do a beam and a beer for five bucks. I mean, that's, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and you go in at night of the week and they'll probably be doing karaoke. They have uh, these little tiles all over the place where you get to do little doodles and chalk. The whole place is just covered in chalk doodles. And they've has, actually had quite a few bands uh, come through there and they do rockabilly. And it's just, and, but you're hanging out with locals too. As much as there's tourists there, you're, you're definitely hanging out with, uh, with locals. You can do the rural touristy area like Fourth uh, Street Live, um, right down from the Sealback Hotel. There's uh, the Maker's Mark Lounge is there. Um, there's a huge, crazy bowling alley. That's kind of like a disco bowling alley. There's a comedy club. There's quite a few uh, nightclubs and stuff as well. But if you go into the area just over in um, Frankfurt Street, uh, Germantown, yeah. uh, there's a place called Knock Bar, which is kind of like a really neighborhood. Uh, literally, it's in a neighborhood. It's a, you look around, it's all residential, but then you're in this patio in someone's backyard, but it's a licensed establishment. Oh, and awesome. they have a lot of German sausages and really great food. But my ultimate favorite place to go, and it, no trip to Kentucky is complete without stopping at the Silver Dollar. Yes. And it's actually been, I think they are one of the top 10 bourbon bars in America right now. And they've, their status has come up so huge in the last couple of years. But you got to get the chicken thighs. Mm. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a real spicy dish. Um, but they do uh, frog legs, uh, you know, fried oysters, okra, um, a lot of colored greens with, uh, with bacon and pork and pork belly and all. Oh. Mm. Just all the fixings, <laughs> grits, everything. Yeah. Also, kind of like residential area as well. Yes, yeah. and it's an old firehouse. Like literally, okay. they still have the, the fire pole. Oh uh, when you walk in, you can see between. I and actually, do comedy that. upstairs. I just saw a lot of bourbon. I missed the fire pole. I'm like, there's <laughs> a, like it's it, the whole restaurant is just like a wall of bourbon, pretty yep. much almost. Yeah. And they do an industry night on, um, I believe it's Monday nights. Yeah, it's Monday nights, where basically they put out a buffet for the industry 
nice. uh, for bartenders and, and folks that work uh, in the industry. Um, you, there's no cover. You eat for free. You just buy drinks. And it's all the food that didn't get cooked for the weekend. And they just uh, put it out as a big buffet for everyone. And it's a pretty awesome thing to do. Yeah, That's very yeah. cool. So you're, if you're not in the industry, but you listen to a podcast <laughs> yes. about the whiskey industry, you probably qualify. Look, I assume. You're, you're in there. You're in. You're in. I love how like Kentucky, like when you go to Louisville, it's like basically all drinking food. But even at breakfast, you're like, I'll be fine all day. I'm having these eight biscuits. Yeah. Maybe biscuits and gravy and a hot like, brown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's breakfast. This is drinking food. Oh, lunch. It's drinking food. Oops. Dinner. Extra drinking food. Yeah. I love it so much. Now I just want like a chicken fried steak. <laughs> <laughs> and believe it or not, the seafood. I mean, we are landlocked there in Louisville. Yeah. But it's also a UPS and FedEx hub. So right. all the seafood is a day old and it's, uh, it's pretty fantastic. Awesome. Also, one last one, Bourbon's Bistro out in Germantown. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sean there, depending if, he, if he's there, um, he's got some really awesome obscure bourbons on the top shelf, th- some decanters that you wouldn't find anywhere else. And if you get engaged in a conversation with him, he might just turn around and pull some off the shelf and start doing some sampling off the menu, That's which the is one. pretty fantastic nice. as well. That's what yeah. you want. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, have you been to Garage Bar? Yes. 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 That's a good, that, I mean, at last, this is going back a couple of years, but that used to be a very good nightlife spot. There's ping pong. Yep. Um, our audio producer, Matt Mark, loves <laughs> ping pong. Um, he was doing the charades for ping pong. <laughs> he was doing the charades for ping pong. Yeah. Great um, times. They're flatbread pizza. Um, yes. They're yeah. the craft beer selection, the cocktails. And they've got that uh, permanent art installation out front with a Trans Am and I think a Corvette. And they're slowly being pulled together with um, uh, with a, a dramatic uh, yeah, yeah. press. And every time I go, the cars are crunched more. So it's a process. Over the last couple of years, they're oh, eventually going cool. to be completely smushed together. Yeah, it, it's, it's weird. I didn't even, like, I was researching the bar afterwards. I'm like, oh, this was, yeah. like, an actual installation. Because you, you drive by, you're like, you, sorry, drive by. You take a cab there, and you're like, um, <laughs> I don't much. know what this is, but <laughs> yeah. it looks cool. Yeah. Uh, no, it's such a great bar. Such a such a fun place. Good vibe, especially in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to Proof on Main? Yes, I have, says Matt Mark. Yes. <laughs> I like to call him Gelman, and if anyone understands that reference, I'm going to give you $10. Just kidding. I'm not giving Are you, you just anything. A <laughs> um, Proof on Main is uh, inside the uh, one of the top boutique hotels in North America, 21C, um, but the art installations in this place. its uh, Actually, to give some GTA references, uh, Proof on Main 21C is kind of the Drake Hotel of Louisville. Okay. And Garage Bar is the parts and labor. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like okay, that. Got some, it. some reference there. But uh, every time I go, there's a different theme on the walls, and, and the food is amazing. The cocktails are on point. Um, it's really hard to not walk away with one of their leather-bound menus. Don't do that, but... They're awesome. You have like six Ask of to them. pay for one. You have six of them at home, don't you? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's but awesome. But so much to do. And it's uh, Louisville's a very cultured city. Mm-hmm. Um, the theater district, um, the, the restaurants, there's just always so much going on. Yeah, it's no, it's cool. a fun place to Louisville be. Slugger Museum. Oh, right. Yeah, my friend bought a baseball bat from there. He was like, the one thing he wanted to go there and buy a baseball bat is 
Great. Did he get taken away at the airport? Because they won't let you through. <laughs> no, no, he drove. We, okay. we drove oh, down. Good, good. Yeah. They literally have a bucket <laughs> of baseball bats that they confiscate with people trying to oh, take on. That's no. hilarious. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if you're within 10 hours of driving, to, I guess, but you fly to Cincinnati, I guess, normally, right? I uh, usually throw a hair, but if I can avoid it, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gone through Washington a few times, but. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, excellent, excellent. So, Matt Jones, where can people find you? Uh, Whiskey Chef on uh, Twitter and Instagram, whiskey no e underscore chef. And I do uh, events and tastings and spirited dinners in different cities across Canada. Just finished a um, 19 city, nine province tour in about uh, just under three months. That's uh, <laughs> the effort schedule there. But uh, yeah, in around basically anywhere that uh, you know has a, a premium bourbon selection, we will definitely be present doing some consumer engagement. Um, but uh, across Canada on the road, for sure. So you, you guys would just call you up and be like, I have a bar and I want to do whiskey tasting and you're, you're there. I, I don't need to really check too many boxes because <laughs> I just like going out to, <laughs> talk to people that, that, that love whiskey and bartenders. I have a so garage sure. <laughs> down a back alleyway. Done that tasting. <laughs> and if it's in Toronto, you'll probably find yeah. like Mark and I there, like uninvited. Yeah. We just show up. How'd you guys even know? <laughs> <laughs> Matt we'll Jones just is like up. me plus two or three yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. can't get rid of it's them. It's fine. Oh. They'll be here. I'm sure they'll just find out. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you're always yeah. welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Very much appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Fantastic. Any last words, Jamie? No. I just want to drink this wild turkey Kentucky spirit for the rest of the day. <laughs> just kidding. I won't. I wouldn't do that to you. But no. Thanks, guys. This is great. So much fun. Whiskey.